0: In First Timothy the second chapter, the first through the fourth verse. I exhort, therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. That's the leaders of the government. that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. In other words, he's saying this is the will of God that we do this. This is good. This is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Now you notice the word in this verse, intercessions be made. There are three reasons why God wants us to pray for and to make intercession for the leaders of our government. Number one, there are evil spirits that endeavor to dominate the governments of the earth. You remember that Jesus after he was baptized of John Jordan's river as the fourth chapter of Luke states was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. One of the temptations of Satan was that he took him upon exceedingly high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said if you'll fall down before me and worship me, all of these and the glory thereof will I give thee. Now notice those are all worldly kingdoms. Satan said I'll give it to you. Notice that there is a statement there that you need to notice particularly in this fourth chapter Luke that is very significant. He said for it is delivered for that is delivered unto me. The devil said unto him, that's the sixth verse, all this power, that is, of the kingdoms of this world, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. Now, uh, if that's not true, that he had that authority, then this wasn't a test, this wasn't a temptation, and Jesus would have known if he hadn't had the authority to give to him these, the glory of these kingdoms and so on. And if he just, uh, if Jesus knew that that wasn't true and that he, uh, well, then Jesus himself was a partner to a fraud and to a deceit. But it is just what the Bible said, a bona fide temptation. Now, why and how did the devil have that kind of authority? To give to Jesus the kingdoms of this world, all the power, this power will I give thee and the glory of them. Well, he tells you himself, for he said, it's delivered unto me. He didn't have the authority to do it to begin with. It's been delivered unto me to do it. And to whomsoever I will, I give it. Well, who delivered it to him? Adam did. Remember that. Adam did. That explains so many things for us. You see, God made the world, the universe, and everything is here. Then he made his man Adam and said, Adam, I give you dominion over all the work of my hands. In other words, he's saying to Adam, I'm making you the god of this universe. You go, you take it, you rule it, you dominate it. But Adam committed high treason and sold out Satan in the garden. And Satan became the god of this world. And he's called that. He's called the god of this world by Paul in Second Corinthians 4th chapter and 4th verse. Now we noticed also, and I'm just summing up for you the ground we've been over to be sure you got it and then for the benefit of those who were not with us. We could see that in the Old Testament, Ezekiel the 28th chapter, the 1st through the 19th verse. We could see this double kingdom. We could see the seen kingdom with the natural human ruler, and the unseen kingdom behind it with the satanic ruler. You see here, God said to Ezekiel to prophesy against the prince of Tyrus, Ezekiel 28, and he began to prophesy against him who was a man, who was the ruler. But then you see that he went on to say that the word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, and and he began to prophesy against someone that he called the king of Tyrus. And as you you go on reading about that, you see that he's talking about the devil, and he's not talking about a natural ruler, but an unseen ruler. Because he said, uh, Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day thou was created. He's talking about a being that was created, not born by natural birth. He went on talking about him being in the Eden, in the garden of God. Well, the prince of Tyrus wasn't there. The man that was ruling Tyrus at the moment wasn't there. But Satan was there in Eden, see. What's he saying? Well, behind the seen kingdom and the seen ruler upon the earth, there is an unseen in the spirit realm, ruler, that's dominating that kingdom, actually. Then we saw that again in the book of Daniel in the 10th chapter where when Daniel set his face to pray and to seek God, and uh, the the angel of God, Gabriel, broke through to him the twenty-first day, but he said to him that your prayer was heard the first day, and that I was sent. That's the tenth chapter of Daniel. Read the whole tenth chapter. I was sent, he said, the very first day. Now, you see, God heard his prayer the moment he prayed the very first day. God sent the answer the very first day Daniel prayed. The answer didn't get through till the 21st day. Why didn't it? Gabriel says, The Prince of Persia withstood me. The Prince of Persia withstood me. You see, out there in the unseen realm, there was a prince called the Prince of Persia who was really ru- ruling Persia through the seen ruler. Now, you see, it says in the sixth chapter of Ephesians, the twelfth verse, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, rulers of the darkness of this world, rulers, he's talking about unseen forces, rulers of the darkness of this world. Everyone that's not saved is in darkness. There is a kingdom of darkness. There is a kingdom of light. And see, those that are unsaved, whether they're my kinfolks or your kinfolks, they're ruled by demons, the Bible said. That's what makes people do things that they don't want to do. And they wonder after well what made me do that? Amen. I've seen kin folks, my own kinfolks, after somebody in the family had pulled some terrible something, you know, that embarrassed all the rest of us and you know, every single one of us, whoever we are, we got kin folks we're ashamed of, in fact some of your kin folks might be ashamed of you even. Amen. Isn't that right? And every single one of us would just be embarrassed to death if certain ones of our friends knew that some of our kin folks were as honor as they are. But anyway, I've seen things happen among kin folks, and uh, they got together and sort of discussed it, you know, and said, well, I don't understand what made them do that. I'll tell you, I've heard some of them say, I'll tell you one thing about it. I'd never pull a stunt like that. Before the year's out, they pulled a worse stunt. Yet they said, I wouldn't. Those who are in darkness are ruled by the powers of darkness, the rulers of the darkness of this world. And too many times these spirits endeavor to dominate the believers and to rule them. That's the reason the Apostle Paul writing to this same church at Ephesus said, Neither give place to the devil. What does that mean? Don't give him any place in you. Well, that means he's trying to take a place in you, he's trying to rule you, he's trying to dominate you, or you would have or it would not be necessary for you to neither give place to the devil. What did Peter and James say? They said, Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That means he's there, endeavoring to dominate you, endeavoring to gain uh, interest into you, or you wouldn't have to resist him, would you? Now then, back to the 10th chapter of Daniel, the angel said, the prince of Persia withstood me. But he said, Michael the archangel was sent to help me to fight against him. This is a fight that went on up yonder in the heavenlies. And he broke through that uh, 21st day. And then he said to Daniel that he was going back to fight with the prince of Persia. Well now these powers and these forces and oh if we could only realize it and should have realized it in a greater mean way than what we have that these forces endeavored to dominate every nation including our own nation and too many times do dominate. That's the reason he said that intercessions be made for kings and for those that are in authority you see interceding against these powers of darkness that would dominate the political scene. If the church, the real true believers, would just ever wake up and realize that they should dominate the scene, not Satan, that you see through Jesus Christ, dominion has been restored to the church. A certain amount of it that Adam lost and eventually all of it will be. Are you listening to me? Then we would stand in intercession Uh, against Satan and, and command him to take his hand off of the political scene of our nation. And he'd do so. He would do so. He'd have to. He'd have to. Praise God, because we've got authority over him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he said here, that intercessions be made for all, for kings and for all that are in authority. So the number one reason is to intercede against these forces of evil. And rulers of the darkness of this world and, uh, and principalities and powers and, and spiritual wickednesses are, as the margin said, wicked spirits in heavenly places that seek to dominate. Now, number two is that we as Christians might lead a quiet and a peaceable life. You see, God will do some things because we ask him and for our sakes he loves us. We are his children. Too many times people just pass off the scene, said, Well, I'm not going to pray for him. He's not even saved. Talking about leaders of the nation. Or I'm not going to pray for him. I've heard Christians say, You know, well, he's, you know, a crook. Because politics is politics. And every single one of them, whether they're Democrat or Republicans, are just as bad as the next one is. Well, is God going to bless them? No, he's going to bless the nation for our sake. He told us to pray for these kings. These kings that the Spirit of God, through Paul, said to pray for. If you'll study history, I don't know, very seldom was even one of them, even a Christian. Yet he said, make intercession for them, didn't he? Why? That we might lead a quiet and a peaceable life so things will go well with us. Things don't, don't go well with the Christians, you see, in a time of turmoil and upset. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? God will do it for our sake. God will do it for our sake. You see, you get a hint about that. We looked at it. And then th- th- let's talk about it again. Be, be sure you got it. We got a hint of that way back there in Genesis, the 18th chapter. You remember in, in Abraham's intercession for Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that? Remember we talked about that? Remember, God would not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah until he came down and talked it over with Abraham, his blood covenant friend. But remember, we've got a better covenant than Abraham had. Hallelujah. A covenant established with the church through Jesus Christ. Is God going to do something without talking it over with, with his friends, with the church? Or is the church going to be caught unawares? Well, certainly not. Certainly not. No, a thousand times No. Well, God told Abraham, these cities were wicked, all of the sexual impurities. We think our nation is bad as far as morality is concerned, but these cities were even worse, because you see, there wasn't even ten righteous people in the cities, these cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So Abraham's intercession was, Lord, uh, peradventure, there are fifty righteous people found there. Will, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God said, if there's 50 righteous there, I'll I'll spare the place. And Abraham then brought 45 and 40 and 30 and 20 and finally 10. I'm sorry, he stopped there. He said, I'll just ask you this one more time. If there's 10. He said, I'll spare it for 10. For 10, the sake of 10 righteous people, he had spared Sodom and Gomorrah with all of their filthiness. You think about that for ten righteous people. He'd do it. But he couldn't find ten. Amen. He couldn't find ten. But at least one thing he did do, bless God, before he did destroy him, he did get Lot out. Abraham's nephew, you know. He did that for Abraham's sake. Praise God. You see, that we might leave. God will do some things for our sake. And then third, it speaks here, of the fact that God would have all men to be saved and all men to come unto repentance. You see, it's difficult to, to spread the gospel in times of war and unrest and turmoil and upset. It's difficult. And that's the reason the devil would want to keep an evil spirit. He would want to keep things always tore up because it's difficult to spread the gospel. And God wants the gospel spread. He wants it preached to all the world. Hallelujah. To every nation. And then shall the end come. See. And one thing, one reason we brought out that the devil will fight and demons endeavor to dominate America is because that America, United States of America, is doing 90% of all the missionary work that's done in the world. 90% of it's done. 90% of all the money that's spent comes from the United States of America. Are you listening? Well, you see, the devil would fight even harder because if he could defeat America... If they'd go down the drain, then he can stop all the missionary. Practically all of the other 10% would, be, would have to stop and then join up. And he could take things over. But he's not going to do it. Are you listening to me? Amen. No, sir. No, sir. And so, that's the reason he'd fight, but that's the reason we need to intercede. Praise God. I know this much that many a time I've been praying in prayer, in tongues, in groanings. In intercessions. And, uh, and and sometimes God will let you know what you what and who and for whom you're praying and so on. And then most of the time, of course He won't, it isn't necessary. You just know because you know the Bible. But anyway, I know this that that sometimes I'd change the languages five or six times. I could recognize I was praying in different languages. And somewhere another, though back there then, since then I've been to some countries, but back there then I'd never been to any other country, you see, other than Canada and just down the edge of Mexico. But while I was praying in these different languages, it seemed just like a picture running in front of me, you know, I could see a scene on a television screen. I could see people, you know, dressed in different attire, and I knew they must be from that country. Maybe that's that language I'm praying. Perhaps I'm interceding for them. I didn't know that it was. But then many, a few months afterwards, I picked up a Pentecostal evangelist or some other Pentecostal periodical and I read about a revival breaking out in that particular country. I had some pictures there and I could see they looked just like the people, dressed just like the people that I saw while I was praying. And I realized that God was having me to intercede. Hallelujah to Jesus, you see. Praise God. We need intercessors today. We need intercessors today. I remember I heard, uh, I heard brother, uh, and Sister A. And Trotter. Sister Trotter's gone to be with the Lord now. But I heard Brother Trotter tell this in one of his sermons at a preached account meeting for a West Texas District Assemblies of God 1945 in Lubbock, Texas. That he and his wife Blanche were there in Africa as missionaries, you know. Many years ago. Her daddy was still alive then, he's eighty some odd years old, his farmer's back up in the New England states. And he went out to milk his cows one morning. He just suddenly just set the milk pails down in the middle of the, between the house and the barn, turned around and came back to the house. Wasn't quite daylight, actually, it was early. They, they milked several cows, sold the milk, you know, to come along and pick it up, you know, in the truck. And his wife was in the kitchen, she said, What's the matter? She, she thought he was sick. He looks sort of white like, he said, I don't know, but Blanche is in trouble. That's her daughter way down in Africa, you see. Well, she said, What is He said, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But she's in trouble and I've got a burden to pray, so he just fell on his knees in the kitchen. She got down to the side of it, and he began to pray there. Wait five, five thirty o'clock in the morning, still dark, see. And he prayed on in tongues, and he prayed on. The cows are lowing, they haven't been milked and fed. The pigs are squealing, they haven't been fed. The chickens are clucking, they haven't been fed. But he's praying on. It's 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and 10 o'clock in the morning, 11 o'clock, and 12 o'clock noon, and 1 o'clock, New England time, and he's still praying. Somewhere around 1 to 2 o'clock in the day, while he began to laugh, and to clap his hands, and sing in tongues, the burden rolled away and lifted. She said, well, what happened? He said, I don't know. Her life, some way or another, blanches, that was their daughter, you see her life some way or another was in danger I don't know what it was but some way or another it was in danger but it's all right now it's all right now well in the process of time now Brother Trotter said of course they didn't know that but in the process of time they wrote a letter you see came by boat in those days to them and Blanche had contract, contract contracted one of the those uh, fatal fevers they had down there in Africa I mean if you got it you're dead that's it nobody ever lived nobody ever survived and so she had it. So everybody knows she's going to die. They prayed. They did what they could. She lapsed into unconsciousness. But suddenly, suddenly she just sat moped upright in bed. Praise God. And said, I'm healed. It was perfectly, 100% all right. He said, when we eventually came home and compared times, dates, because they, they kept it down, What he said, we found when you compare the difference in the African time New England time, the very hour that he started laughing after all that praying clapping his hands and singing in tongues, that's the moment she rose up. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. I think a lot of times the Spirit of God is searching through the body of Christ, trying to find somebody to roll the burden of some dear missionary who's in trouble upon. I wonder if he can find someone. I wonder if he came knocking on your door. Are you sensitive enough to the Spirit to respond to him and to listen? I heard H.E. Boley saying. You know, he went out to missionary in Africa many in the early days of the Pentecostal movement. I heard Brother Boley say, because he's preaching there in Dallas, some services, series of services, and I went down from McKinney, Texas, to hear him several nights, four or five nights. And so Brother Bowley said that in the early days when he is there as a missionary in Africa, he said one day he, uh, he went over to uh, hire a boat to take him out to an island off of the coast there to preach to some of the natives. These people had a little different dialect, but one of the fellows that had gotten saved there and under his ministry could speak that dialect, so he took him along to interpret for him because he could speak these folks' dialect. And so they hired the boat. They took him out to the island. They stayed the whole day. He preached there. He had an appointment ever so often to go there and preach. And he said on the way back in, those little squalls would just blow up in a hurry, and some of them very severe. And it blowed up, the squall blowed up. They couldn't get back, and they got caught in it. Night overtook them. Finally, said the captain of this little boat, this three or four man crew of the thing, said he said to him, "We can't. Uh, we we." If we stay out here, we're going down. The boat's going to sink. We can't get in because I've lost my direction. I don't know where I am. We'll, we'll be dashed to pieces on the rocks. I don't know what to do. I don't know whether to make a run for it and just try to get into the harbor or whether just... If we stay here, we're going down. And so he said, uh, Mr. Brother Boat, he said, I said to him, well, let, let me and my friend, my interpreter, pray. These other fellows weren't Christians. He just hired that boat. So he said, we got out on our knees and committed our lives to God. Said, God, we're here. We're in the will of God. You sent us to Africa. We just can't hardly believe you want to take us to heaven from here. But if you do, that's your privilege. We commit ourselves into your hand and to your keeping by faith. And then he said, I stood up and said to the man, to the captain, let her go. Make a, make a run for the harbor. Well, he said, we'll be dashed to pieces on the rock. He said, that's all right. Let her go. And he said, God's my witness. And all the men, even the unsaved, is my witness that that uh, and this was before the days you know of many airplanes at least that that boat took off like an airplane and just sailed through there and landed over in the harbor just sailed over the rocks and it was just as quiet and peaceful in that harbor and they rejoiced in the victory in the deliverance and so he said a few days later that he was up to a mission station where there's just one of the ladies assembly got missionaries there that was over this station, they were short of help, and she had to run that one by herself. And he was up there to preach. He'd go up and see about it once in a while. And so about two weeks later, and he said, this lady missionary said, Brother Bowie, about two weeks ago last Monday night at about, uh, oh, anywhere from 10 o'clock till midnight, were you in trouble? He said, I remembered about that, but I said to her, Why? Well, she said, I've been left alone here with the mission station, a lot of work to do as well as spiritual work, a lot of work with your hands and so on. I'd worked hard all day. And said, I just got off to bed early and just fell about dark. I just went to bed by dark and just fell off to sleep and slept. And said, about, about 10 o'clock, well, she said, I, I suddenly, I was just awakened like somebody like somebody shook me awake, you know. And I thought somebody was in the room. And I said, uh, then I realized that the Lord had awakened me. And I looked to see what time it was. Then it was 10 o'clock. And I said, Lord, what's the matter? And then she said, a burden, a burden of intercession, a burden of prayer came upon me. And I got out of the bed and on my knees. and time my knees hit the floor, and never could say a word in English. I just began praying in other tongues. You see, we know not for what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, as Dad Nelson says, in articulate speech. And again, Paul said, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prayeth. And she said, from 10 till 12 o'clock midnight. I, I never said a word in English. I just prayed and groaned another other tongues. And I had the impression, I didn't know but said, you seem to keep coming in front of me and I thought maybe I could have been praying for you. He said, sister, you were. Thank God you were. You were. Right at that time he told her the story then. Praise God. And he told a number of incidents like that. Well, you see, praise God, Sometimes there just won't be deliverance unless somebody does intercede. You say, why? Well, because the Satan's got authority here on the earth to dominate unless somebody down here, you see, will take the time to pray. God cannot really do what he wants to do because he turned that authority over to Adam. Adam turned it over to Satan. Can you see that? And so he has a right to do so. I remember again one of our, uh, read this testimony in the Pentecostal Evangel a number of years ago, one of our Assembly of God missionaries from, uh, from England spent nearly 40 years a missionary in Africa. And he had cancer. And uh, he's, well, they're going to, can't operate on him. He's, he's going to die. People have prayed, so on and so forth. But a lady over in Australia knew nothing about it. She hadn't read in other periodicals. Some of them had put out, put out little notes, you know, pray for so-and-so because he's, you know, last stages of cancer, bed fast. But this lady over in Australia, one of the Assembly of God leaders, had a burden to pray. She began to pray, intercede in the Spirit, prayed two or three hours in tongues, had a vision, she saw him healed. Didn't even know he had cancer. But she wrote a letter, dated it, and said, I was praying while I was praying after two or three hours of intercessions and groanings and praying in other tongues. Ah, evidently, you must be sick because I saw you lying on the bed. It seemed like you was nearly dead. Suddenly, you rose up well and wrote, sent the letter to some people she knew over there in Africa. They knew her. She had heard about this man, knew he was over there, but like I said, didn't know that he's sick. No no report had been made in their area. But at the very time he said himself, he is already time the letter got there up and well, and the doctors couldn't find any trace of cancer about him. But when the letter came and he compared the difference in times, that was the very moment that he rose up well. Praise God. The very moment that he rose up well. Hallelujah. Somebody, you see, prayed. God very often, the Holy Spirit very often is searching through the church to find somebody to roll the burden off on. And we are so insensitive to spiritual things that he has to pass us by and go on to somebody else. I think we, God's looking for intercessors today. Praise God. And then again, you'll notice there in Galatians four nineteen. Paul said, writing to the church, the churches in Galatia, my little children, you see, they were his children. He had begotten them by the gospel unto God. But he said, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Now remember Isaiah 66, 8 said, as far as soon as Zion travailed, as soon as she travailed, sons and daughters were born. Zion is the church. Hebrews 12th chapter. Read the 18th through the 24th verse, particularly the 22nd, 23rd verses, and it'll let you know that Zion is the church of the firstborn. That's us. As soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Paul said, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. He had travailed for them in prayer that they would be saved, travailing for sinners. Now he's travailing for them as Christians, that they would mature, and Christ would be formed in them. They would become mature Christians. You see, you can travail and make intercession for sinners. You can travail and make intercession for Christians, for believers. You can travail and make intercession for the sick. An intercessor is one who takes the place of another. When you make intercession for the lost, very often a spirit of intercession comes upon you, you'll feel lost yourself. I've had many to say this to me, I want to reiterate it, it's so important. Many times when the altar call's given, I know I'm saved, oh, I'm baptized with the Holy Ghost, but I begin to have a feeling in here like I'm lost, feel just like I'm lost. Some have even gone to the altar to pray, maybe something's wrong with me, didn't know what the Bible, didn't know what it was. You see, God was endeavoring you to take the place of the lost man or woman. That's the reason you felt like they feel. What you should have done was just not interrupted the service or if you needed to pray out loud, but get off by yourself in the prayer room and intercede for them. But stand there or sit there when that comes and begin to intercede, whoever it is, begin to intercede just very quietly. Pray with other tongues for them. Whoever this lost person is, make intercession for them. Are you listening to me? Same way with sickness. I find very often in making intercession for those who are sick that I'll begin to have the same symptoms. Oh, I know I'm not sick. It isn't really in my body. It's something that's put there by the Spirit. And I begin to have the same symptoms they have. Go through the same thing they go because, you see, I'm taking their place. I'm interceding for them. If folks are in trouble sometimes, you'll begin to sense and to have and feel like you're in trouble. And yet you're not in trouble. If Christian friends and relatives are depressed, you'll begin to have a a feeling like that yourself, as though you're depressed, and you know you're not depressed. But you see, their burden is being rolled off on you. And what God wants you to do is to intercede, to pray that thing through, as we say, speaking humanly. That is, pray until you have a note of praise. Pray until the burden's lifted and gone. Pray until you begin to laugh. Or to sing, perhaps sing in tongues. Hallelujah to Jesus. And then whoever it is, or whatever it is, thank God you know that you've done what the Spirit wants you to do, you've got the answer, you've got the victory. Praise God. There's some of these things it's difficult to teach, you just have to have experience in them to know. Or you're listening. But as you'll give yourself to them, well, now, somebody said, well, yeah, but unless God burdens me to pray, I can't pray. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Most of the time of my intercession, I'm not burdened to pray. Once in a great while, I, it'll, it'll just seem to come upon me and overwhelm me almost. But that's only a rare thing. So many times, see, that verse said there in Romans eight twenty six. For we know not for what to pray, if it's some of my own folk's. Somebody I know, I just say to the Lord, Lord, I know to pray God bless so and so, but that's insufficient because uh, you've already said your you that you've already blessed him and us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, but he don't seem to know it, so he does not enjoy it. But I'm just going to depend on the Holy Spirit within me to help me to pray in the way that it ought to be prayed for that person. I know this much that your word declared that if I pray, Paul said, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit, Amplified says, by the Holy Spirit within me prayeth. So I say to the Holy Spirit, blessed Holy Spirit, thou who dost live within me, I'm going to trust you to give me intercession to help me to pray. Help me. He helpeth, it said our, Help me to pray for this person. Call their name. Then I start praying in tongues. I start praying in tongues. Not because I'm forced into it. Not because I'm even inspired to do it. Not because I feel like doing it. I just start out doing it. In the flesh, you might say. Wigglesworth said, talking about tongues, and I always start out in the flesh and wind up in the spirit. And so I just began to pray that way. And I found that as I will begin to pray that way, then that the anointing will come and greater degree and greater degree and sometimes I wind up, uh, you know, thinking I prayed five or ten minutes and opened my eyes and looked and been to pray an hour and a half or two hours and one time I'd prayed five hours and something, you see, because then you got lost in the Spirit and the Spirit was able to have a channel that he could minister through. Praise God. There are things that we pray about. I prayed one time in the month of February of 1943, five hours and 45 minutes with other tongues and groanings. I don't know what I was praying about. I don't know one word I said. Sometimes the Lord let me know either by vision or by interpreting my prayer. But that is as he wills and not as I will. This time I didn't have any interpretation of my prayer or vision, but there just came a revelation to me. And I realized that must be what I'm praying about. And I, I, I got my pen and paper, I was in my study on my knees, and I got my pen and paper and began to write it down. Here's what it said, it came to my spirit. This was February of 1943. We were in World War Number 2 then. World War Number 2 was not over till August of 1945. And so I began to write down, There will come to America at the close of World War Number 2 a revival of divine healing. And it did. And it did. Well, I'm well satisfied in that five hours and 45 minutes of praying that I was praying about that coming revival. And then again, it was praying in other tongues in the mid-50s, 56, 7 or 8, long in there actually, that, uh, that the Spirit of God said to me and I wrote it down that the next revival, because, see, the healing revival began to wane. The next revival, he said, will be in the church. Now, I understood that he wasn't talking about the Pentecostal church. He meant the church world. We've seen that revival come. We haven't really reached the apex of it yet. We've seen that revival come. I wrote it down. I'm well satisfied that those praying in tongues there was praying about that, you see. And we saw... uh, People in every church began to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Until now, it's a, it's a pretty well set fact that at least two million, at least two million Roman Catholics right here in America speak with other tongues or baptize the Holy Ghost, speak with other tongues. One of the assistant pastors of the Central Assembly of God in Albuquerque, New Mexico, said to me, because really he didn't know what was going on in some of these areas, because he didn't go to the full gospel Benjamin chapter there, but he didn't go to the full gospel of Benjamin chapter. He didn't know. He was just simply working in his own church, but he said to me personally, he said, we, just our one church, Central Assembly, which is the largest, I suppose, at that time, the largest full gospel church of any kind there in, the, in Albuquerque, but he said, we, just our church, we made a church census of the whole city of Albuquerque, I don't know now, probably 125,000, maybe 150,000 people. I don't know, it's grown considerably, you know, in the last few years. But anyway, our one church, you see, we, uh, we'd go out two by two, you know, every night, you know, till we covered the whole city, making a church census. He said, to my utter astonishment, we found out that there are more Catholic Pentecostals in Albuquerque than there are Pentecostal Pentecostals. And he said, many of these Roman Catholics, he said to me, because this was new to him, now I'd been in on it in other areas. But he said, you know, I couldn't hardly believe it was so, but yet I couldn't deny it. I know the Holy Spirit. I have him. I speak with tongues. When some of these Roman Catholics, he said, found out we had the baptism go, spoke with other tongues, they invited us in, you know, and, and we had coffee together and, and prayed together. And, and my, they were just so full of joy and so full of praise and speaking with other tongues just almost put us to shame. He said, I had some of the richest fellowship in the spirit that I've ever had in my life with Catholic Pentecostals. And I didn't even know that was possible. (laughs) But it was so nonetheless. He had admitted so. More Catholic, Roman Catholic Pentecostals at that time in Albuquerque than there were Pentecostal Pentecostals. The very conservative estimate is that in these last few years that there are, you see, two million Right here in America, Roman Catholics who speak with other tongues who are filled with the Holy Ghost. There are many, many uh, Episcopalians who are baptized the Holy Ghost and speak with other tongues. Brother Dennis Bennett, you know, uh, who's, who's a pastor of uh, St. Luke's Church there in Seattle, wrote to me recently. And he said uh, we were uh, in a meeting, uh, an Episcopal meeting, In Atlanta, Georgia, this past fall. And he said, for the first time, for the very first time, in this caliber meeting, this is a regional meeting, you see, he said, the Episcopal, the Episcopal Charismatics, recognized them publicly, gave them a place on the program. And we found out by then, by taking an actual count on it, that a third of all the congregation in this meeting spoke with other tongues. said, now they've never, in this caliber of meeting, in this a meeting of Episcopals, they've never, they've never recognized the charismatics, those who speak with tongues. But they did. He said it was a real victory. We rejoiced in it. Praise God forevermore. Well, the revival came to the church. And it's still on. Praise God. People of all churches and all groups. But I'm well satisfied that didn't just happen. That revival didn't just come accidentally. It's because some of us made intercession. It was while I was praying in other tongues, after many hours of doing so and many days of doing so, that the revelation came, the next revival that's coming will be in the area of uh, will be in the church see and it was now is is the day of revival over no thank God no now let me tell you where the next one's coming let me tell you the area where the next one's coming now in the first place this one that we're in is going to continue because we haven't reached the, the apex of it yet We've just been building to it. We haven't reached there yet. but we'll reach it. But there is coming a a flow of the Spirit, a a revival, if you want to call it that, because a, 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 a renewal, you see. In the area of the miraculous, I'm not talking about miraculous healings. We've had some of them all along, though that will be stepped up too. And there will be more miraculous healings, instantaneous healings where folks, uh, many of them just all at once, we saw this fall a couple of ladies jump out of a wheelchair and be healed. But where we saw those two ladies in my own ministry this fall jump out of a wheelchair and walk away, we'll see 10 and 20 of them at a time jump out and walk away. You mark my word. But uh, there will be a manifestation of the working of miracles. The working of miracles. There is a spiritual gift called the working of miracles no I'm not talking about miracles of healing see the spiritual gift of working of miracles doesn't have to do with healings everything that's a healing though it's a a healing miracle comes under healings are you listening to me now the working of miracles is like the Red Sea being divided it was divided that worked a miracle the working of miracles is like turning the water into wine that worked a miracle are you following me now? You see? The work in a miracle is like feeding the 5,000 with the little boy's lunch. That worked a miracle. Are you listening to me now? Amen. Now then, it is certainly true that uh, that for... Uh, in my opinion, at least, though it's over in the physical realm, yet it's not a healing because there's nothing there to heal. If a man, you see, in an accident, if I had my hand cut off, that right hand in an automobile accident, and then if I speak the word or you spoke the word and suddenly another hand grew right there, that would not be a healing because the healing is a renewal of the body from a disease. Then that would be working a miracle. But there's going to be some things like that happen. In these days, not too far distance from now. I'll tell you when we're going to start to get into the edge of it. You want me to tell you? You want me to tell you? Well, we're inching towards it now. And our prayers and intercessions have much to do with it. But we're going to begin to get into the edge of it in the fall of this year. Now, how do you know? Through intercessory prayer, through praying about it, see. Now, not only are you going to see that, and people are going to see that, some things like that, right on TV where, where the doctors will testify that they amputated that man's hand and the word's going to be spoken it's going to grow right back on there and people are going to see that. All they're going to say is that's hokum. But the doctors going to examine They said, man, that's a brand new hand. But now let me tell you something else folks are going to see. Let me tell you something else folks are going to see. And, and, and they're going to see this on TV. For instance, a fellow going to be right here in Tulsa. Some of the local stations are going to have the cameras trained right on him. Looking, you know, right at him. And he's suddenly just going to disappear. Like he snapped your finger. They can't see him. He's gone. And at the same moment, I mean, just in fast as you can snap your fingers, cameras going to be trained in a certain spot in Los Angeles. He's going to be standing right there. Are you hearing me? Philip was caught away and was found in another place going to be a number of people in these last days caught away and found in another place. Are you listening? Are you listening? And then the power of God is going to be ministered in such a way through people until that power will come upon folks and they'll not be able to move. Some of them will stand for three days in one spot and never move. Some of them will lie on the floor for three days and never move. The hypnotist will try to bring them out of it. then Doctors will examine them and say they're under some kind of a spell. But the power of God will be in manifestation. Are you listening to me? Praise God. Now that's not going to happen by accident. That's not going to happen just because God may have said it's going to happen. It's going to happen because the saints interceded. Praise God forevermore. Thank you, Jesus. Now let me tell you something else that's going to happen. And I don't know whether you know it or not, but uh, uh, just the other day I was uh, in our New York meeting uh, and I'd said this before this happened, all right, but just in our New York meeting one of the uh, Episcopal priests who was a teacher there, Brother Pullum Father Pullum, who was one of the teachers and very excellent on the Holy Spirit and he made mention of the fact that he had just come from a prayer group meeting there in Washington, D.C. and he began to tick off whose wife was there this charismatic prayer group, group, you see the wife of this one and the wife of that one the wife of the other one and then he said we're going to have another meeting there they'd, they, they, they warned him because they'd seen him on TV talking about some of these things and we're going to have another meeting and when we are there well, this, this man that's in the cabinet's going to be there and this man's going to be there and this man's going to be there well, God already showed me when I fall and I prophesied to that, that there'd be those who the, the leaders of the movement, the leaders of the government, you know, that would uh, that would come in contact with the supernatural and that some of them would, would go that direction. Praise God. God would begin to move in their lives. God would begin to move in their lives. There's no use just turning everybody over to the devil and letting the devil have them time we stood up on our two hind feet and said bless God Satan thus far shall thou come and no further now you've just made enough inroads here you're going to back up that's what you're going to do big buddy you're just going to back up because we've got authority over you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's happening it's happening and there's going to be some things that will happen on that end of the uh, the situation right here in Washington D.C. that's going to startle folks It's going to startle some people, but it's going to happen. Some things are happening already behind the scenes that you don't know about, that I know about, uh, thank God, and are hearing about, and that's really true, but I knew it in my spirit ahead of time. Praise the Lord. Can you say amen? Amen. No, if you want to run and stick your head in the sand like an ostrich and give up on the situation, well, you go ahead and do it, but some of us are not going to do it. We're going to take our place in Christ. We're going to make intercession.